0: One zero. We have commit and we have liftoff at 213. pounds of trust and it has cleared the tower. Prepare yourself. This is- Welcome one, welcome all, everybody. Conley here with the Science Knights, and uh, we have a very special show today for you. Uh, We have in the studio Dr. Thomas Schiller and all the way from down under Dr. Sean Graham. Now, Dr. Sean Graham, depending on how you look at the map and depending on your point of view, uh, y'all could be on top of us,
1: right? Depending on the way you look at it, yeah, it's all about your, uh, your point of view.
0: Well, we're going to be talking a lot about points of view today. because From my uh,
1: point of view, I'm on top of you guys.
0: <laughs> well, there we go. But uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about points of view in that we're going to be talking about gender and transgender and hermaphrodites and like all the cool things that make this world unique, right?
1: That's right. We're going to talk about some kind of... Uh, biological curiosities when it comes to sex. I guess that's a good way to put it.
0: One of the biggest questions that we had was geckos and them like basically forcing the male species out. Boom, (laughs) gone. Now they're all female on the couch. They're on the couch.
1: (laughs) What you're talking about, and this is a really cool example, because everyone in Alpine and many other people throughout Texas – have seen these geckos. Um, they're called Mediterranean geckos. As you might guess from the name, they're not native to Texas. They're native to the Mediterranean region. Um, and they've, uh, they're a really cool species. They're the ones, the really pale geckos you see climbing around on the walls outside of your house at night next to the lights, picking off little moths and things attracted to the lights.
0: Why not night? And,
1: uh, I mean geckos in general are kind of adapted for the night They're nocturnal, uh, huh. most of them okay. And so they've got really big eyes They've got all kinds of really cool adaptations for living at night um, And they've got some of the best eyes of any vertebrate In fact they're the only vertebrate uh, known that can see color at night That's how good their eyes are Cool, um, cool. Do, are, they need, uh,
0: do they need light yeah. in order to change color? uh well like physically uh,
1: not this species that's a good question about whether or not they can kind of meter their their color change by the presence of we don't really know that for for other species like chameleons and things these okay. guys do tend to change colors like a little bit you know get darker and paler but i'm not sure if, if it relies on light but they they're attracted to light mostly because the bugs that they want to eat are attracted to the light uh, they, would eat, they would eat bugs anywhere if there were plenty of bugs. But they're really unique, like you were suggesting, um, in that it's an all-female species. Um, it, and they reproduce by this process called parthenogenesis, which essentially we break that word down. That word basically means virgin birth. They're not really born um, like, you know, they, they hatch out of an egg. And when they hatch out of an egg, the little baby gecko is a female, and she is a genetic clone of her mother. Um, so there are no males in the population. Uh, you, could, you could catch every gecko in Alpine and, and look under all their skirts, and you'd never find a male. And that's your first clue that something like this is happening. If you, if you find a wildlife population where um, there's no males there may be something like this going on. And this isn't even the only lizard in our area that, that does this. So um, we're not really sure with this species exactly how this happened. Surely somewhere in their evolutionary history, there was a parental population that did have males. And so I'm not sure uh, if there was any kind of war against males that went on where females squeezed them out. It was probably some sort of a, you know, a mutation involving meiosis Uh, um, that where you know through a trick of meiosis and if you guys remember your junior high biology that's just the when you you know the process of making an egg where half the number of chromosomes are present in the egg and half the number of chromosomes are present in the sperm so that when they get together they make you a full-fledged individual with the correct chromosome count Mm -hmm. a trick of meiosis where the female instead of reducing the number of her chromosomes down to half she just Partitions her own chromosomes into those eggs and it works, and then she lays an egg that's herself. And it, that gives you some real big advantages if you're a lizard. Uh, first of all, if you arrive on a new island in the Mediterranean, you only need one individual gecko to start a new population. You don't need to find a male. One? One. The female who gets there can start laying eggs and she doesn't need males. So this is how uh, this became a very successful strategy, specifically in this species. It colonized all the islands of the Mediterranean. And hold, they also oh, oh, do hold really on, well. Hold on. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, so you're telling me a a single gecko could go on One the gecko. shell, like the shell of a tortoise. Well, yeah. Like float they float across the yeah, sea.
1: Sure. They get there on rafts of like old logs on um, things like that. They've been doing it for thousands of years. And they've been probably following people through the Mediterranean doing this, too. They really they do well near human habitations, um, as you know. And so they've just done super well. There's other geckos in the Pacific that do the same thing, um, and they've spread throughout all the far-flung Pacific islands. And then the Mediterranean gecko has taken it one step further, and it now is hopping from one city to the next in the United States. And I, I actually know how they got to Alpine. It's pretty hilarious. Uh uh, the herpetologist that used to be at, uh, at Sol Ross, James Scuddy, had a friend um, who lived in uh, you know College Station, and there were already geckos there. And his friend uh, brought geckos to Alpine and let them go in James Scuddy's backyard as a joke. And that's how they got to Alpine. <laughs> wow.
0: It was a practical joke. <laughs> it was a
1: practical yeah. joke, and it worked. And that's how they got here. And that's that's actually one of two instances where I'm certain that a herpetologist got a population of Mediterranean geckos started. That was James Scuddy in Alpine and then um, Bob Mount in Auburn, Alabama at Auburn University did the same thing. Do we so know if the,
2: if this had a big impact on the food web here? It seems – Yeah. Trying to think probably of – Yeah, there's not really anything that fits that that niche of – Exactly, yeah. Yeah, they do well, um, and they mostly stick
1: to human habitations. So they're not—they're not like an invasive species. Um, I kind of like them because they don't—you know—they don't get out into the wild. We have native geckos in West Texas that are not parthenogenic. They're male, female. They're really cool. They're totally different. No one ever sees them. They're a lot, di- um, and those are the ones that kind of live out in the wild, out in the desert, and they don't compete with the Mediterranean geckos. So it's kind of all good.
0: Yeah. Well, you're telling me that they are really adaptive to humans. Like so they have to have humans around.
1: Pretty much, yeah. It's hard to imagine a place in North America where Mediterranean geckos would have been able to take off without human habitations. They're super adapted to it. Like if you were to go on vacation to the Greek islands or to, you know, uh see the Greek uh ruins, you would see these things all over the place there at night. They've probably been hanging out with humans since the greek civilization before Hmm. and so they're they're really attuned to it and so yeah um maybe there could have been some kind of rocky outcrop somewhere where where the conditions would have been good enough for them to take hold but really the reason why they're here is because they do real well in suburban habitats Hmm.
0: interesting so all right so we know now kind of why uh you know uh, these geckos have deleted the male population uh, <laughs> out of existence right no more male geckos uh, of that particular yeah. uh genre, what would you call them? gen genera yep. that, one
1: species, um, that one species and then yeah there's a bunch of other species out there that they're not the only parthenogenic lizards and there's parthenogenic fish parthenogenic salamanders it's 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 I wouldn't say it's super common, uh, but it's certainly there's a lot of good examples of it. And there is no good examples of it in birds or mammals. Mm. It doesn't happen.
0: All right. So we have talked about these lizards that have deleted the male population on their species. Go feminism. First off, <laughs> and, I'd, uh, I'd,
2: I'd be worried if if our if our uh, human females had this ability I think there have been they could. Se- several occasions where my wife might've used that <laughs> <laughs> deleted you yeah. out of existence. You're deleted. <laughs> You're deleted. Well, here's the thing though.
0: How does, uh, other species kind of mutate in their own ways? Because we're talking about transgender, hermaphrodite type. Uh, this is real science. It is. Yeah.
1: And this, you know, we could easily get in trouble here, um, depending on who is listening. Um, I've, I've talked about this in my classes, and it gets – when you talk about transgender and it gets into politics and you quickly start getting in trouble, and you can get in trouble from both sides of the political spectrum talking about this. Um, oh, sure. And, yeah. and we probably will. We probably will, especially because we're, we're not supposed to be talking about this because we're not transgender. Um, so the only people who have anything to say about this, you know, some people would say are people who are transgender. And I disagree with that, but we're going to get in trouble. We might as well, but we're going to delve into it. And there is science to it. And um, we'll tr- we'll try to talk
2: about But we can. Animals. We can all
0: agree, everybody, regardless of who you are, what your creed is, what your gender is. We can all agree that science does exist.
2: Right. <laughs> science does exist. That's debatable. Oh, yeah. All right. Conley. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. All right. That's your well, that's what that's science is, I that's guess. Your right? no, that's No, this is all – what we're talking about is all scientifically based. I mean, you, it's biology, right? Yeah. You, you yeah. can observe yeah. these differences and these changes and document them. It's yeah. not like we're making something up or, or forming an opinion on anything. We're, we're not yeah. talking about –
1: I'll give you an example of how quickly this can go sideways. It's like – so, you know, there are sex chromosomes, that's that's how uh, sex is determined in mammals and humans. XXXY you're 50, 50, 50 chance. It's it's at you know basically at conception. When when, when the two sex chromosomes meet from one from mom, one from dad, if you, if your dad gave you the X or the oh, the X and your mom gave you her X cuz she's only got two X's, that's their only possibility, you're a female. And if dad gives you his Y and mom gives you her X, you're xy you're male and then so people some people will jump all over that and with complete scientific you know confirmability they'll say see there you go there's only two sexes so all these transgender intersex people they're all lying right and that's not quite the truth so the xy chromosome sets up a cascade of events Which will lead to the differentiation of a fully phenotypic male. And a bunch Pheno, of things Phenotypic. Oh, phenotypic, sorry. Like the male form. The male oh, okay. form.
0: Right? Like uh, so the, the bone marrow, structure, everything, everything. Everything,
1: everything. Okay. And the, the genotype is just which chromosomes you have. And then the ultimately, though, the form that comes from those genes on the chromosomes. Uh, there's a huge number of steps involved and it's not really complete until you've reached puberty. And a lot of things can, you know, go, go, uh, I'm not going to say they go wrong because you can get in trouble if you say it's an abnormality. But, you know, these steps have to be completed perfectly for a, a fully formed male. And if one little thing goes wrong along the way, you can end up with ambiguous genitalia. You can end up with a feminized male brain, right? one of the last things that gets differentiated is your actual brain and behavior. And so that's, uh, that's super complicated. And and then you get these social and cultural feedbacks and it becomes a total nightmare. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, at the, at the, at birth or not even at birth way before birth at conception, all humans are the default sex is female. So if any of those steps go wrong on the way to uh, differentiation of a male, the, the, you can always kind of back off and end up going down the trajectory to become female. Hmm. So you can, you can have a situation where, you know, the really important gene on the Y chromosome that starts that cascade, yeah. that's the first step that can kind of go wrong. That gene, the SRY gene, that kind of starts the testosterone levels in the developing embryo and starts mm-hmm. organizing all the tissues and the, and the testis and all that, if that never kicks in, you can be XY and you'll end up being a completely formed female.
0: And it's not black and white. Like people think it's not really black yeah. and white. It's really more you complicated. Can, yeah. It's all well, about, about
2: hormones, right? When? It's huge. Hormones are a huge part of it in it
1: and it takes it starts when you're a fetus and it doesn't really finish until you're you know 13, 14. And here's where I'll get in trouble with the other side, because, you know this all these steps involved has been described as a spectrum. And that's not really true either, because 99 percent of people end up completely phenotypically female or male. It, it, the, the number of people were,, you know, who end up as intersex. It's it's a very low percentage, and so you don't you wouldn't call that a spectrum. A spectrum indicates that like you know there's all these ranges of possibilities that, that are kind of equally uh, you know plausible, and that's not true. And we shouldn't you know that doesn't mean we we should pick on these people. It doesn't mean we should not believe that they're you know their stories. We should have empathy, and we should we should respect their their right to live. But uh, saying that it's a spectrum is just kind of uh, it, it's glossing over the complicated nature of this and that you know, most people are you know, born male, female and go on to become differentiated. And, and, and these little steps involved go perfectly almost every single time. Mm. And it doesn't go perfectly uh, less than one percent of the time. So these people will, these people, uh, will always be minorities. It's not like we can go and, and, we, and you wouldn't want to go and manipulate fetuses to get an even count across the population, right? That no one's saying that, but that's the kind of thing that, you know, uh, if, if you talk about it as a spectrum, you could almost expect that to be a logical outcome. Yeah and that's just preposterous. It's like saying that we should be engineering people with three chromosomes across the board. Nobody's saying this. I'm just I'm just kind of uh you know stretching that uh that that idea to its its most uh ludicrous conclusion.
0: Yeah, well so, we we have about 2 minutes left uh, and you know the thing is like you know this this whole thing really is complicated and empathy is kind of the the, the white the
2: horse really it's when you key. think about it yeah well yeah. I, th- I think what people need to understand is that this this these differences there there's biology behind it yeah I think a lot of people on one side of the the, the aisle they think this is all people are making decisions about this you know mm-hmm. to, to garner attention or something but no it's all about hormones it's it's your biology yeah it's, right. yeah it's, it's hormones Telling you and being true to yourself, right? Yeah, and people should be free to, to do whatever they want.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I yeah, think that yeah. that is probably the most conservative uh,
2: type uh, outlook to it. If you really think about it, yeah, it's it's all about freedom. Like people <laughs> people should be able to behave, do what they want. To you know, everyone has a right to be happy or pursue happiness. You know, will mm-hmm. be themselves, right? Yeah. Find I, themselves. I, I think I read that somewhere on some old yeah, parchment there's no, document. There's an old document. Parchment? There. Yeah. <laughs> there's I think it was the back, one, of, back uh, of a cereal box or something. Wheaties box. I remember that. Cocoa, <laughs> Cocoa Puffs. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back, and we're going to talk more about transitory states.
2: Hey, everyone. This is the Science Nights in the Morning, and we are talking about... Sex, gender. Uh, we're talking about hermaphrodites. Natural variations in in our configurations. Transitory states. So wh- what do we what do we what do we got now, Sean? What are we talking about next? Yeah, you, I think you you said a cool word that I think a lot of people get confused about:
1: hermaphrodites. Um, and. That's a good one because you know there's lots of folklore and urban legends about human hermaphrodites. You know, everybody's probably heard that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is a hermaphrodite. Hermaphrodites,
0: the uh,
1: goddess, <laughs> the goddess, and that's not true. Um, there's what? there's no there's no such thing as a human hermaphrodite. Let me let me explain. And then you'll probably understand why this has never happened. Uh, a hermaphrodite is a plant or animal that simultaneously or um, it can ex- it can express or cr- uh, produce gametes of both sexes. So sperm and egg, right? Um, and so in order to be a hermaphrodite, you need testis and ovaries. Um, and there's never been a human being born with Both functionally that function perfectly Um, you can have ambiguous genitalia you can have all kinds of things um, you know but no human being has ever had functional gonads of both sexes now in plants it's almost the rule like almost all plants are hermaphrodites Uh, like if you look at a flower you're looking at some strange goings-on you're seeing those stamens with the pollen that's the male part, you're seeing a pistol. you're seeing the female parts, and it's all on one flower. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of plants are hermaphrodites, true hermaphrodites, and actually a lot of animals are too. Uh, what? But mostly, mostly invertebrates. Animals? Yeah, so things like corals, sponges, a lot of them are actually simultaneous hermaphrodites. They can produce sperm and egg um, at the same time. That doesn't necessarily mean they fertilize themselves, Although they, uh, some can. <laughs> so s- sponges are a good example. You know They'll produce sperm and egg, and they'll broadcast the sperm out to the water column and fertilize some distant sponge. Meanwhile, some distant sponge is spraying its sperm out to the water, and if that sponge receives it, it, can, it, its eggs will be fertilized. And so this happens a lot in animals, mostly invertebrates, and it can happen even in vertebrates but mostly just fish so fish are the notorious you know hermaphrodites among the vertebrates the only other known example is a frog that can produce sperm and eggs simultaneously Um, but a lot of fish can and some of them some of them can do it at the same time um, where but again that doesn't indicate that they necessarily fertilize themselves they just kind of take turns one will you know, fertilize the egg of another and then the other one will turn right around and fertilize the egg of, of, of the one that just mated with it the other way. So that's 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 usually what happens and then we, we got that that would be what's called a simultaneous hermaphrodite. They, they're simultaneously producing sperm and egg and then the really interesting cool fish are what we call sequential hermaphrodites which means they produce sperm and egg at some time in their lives but not at the same time. That means that they change sex during their life. So,
0: so what process makes it to where they is – is it a decision? Is it just part <laughs> of their biology? Like what, yeah. what goes yeah, on all, here?
1: It's all part of their biology and it all has to do – like when we talked about humans and we said that it's all, all these steps are involved in fully differentiating the sexes. It's all kind of genetically controlled and there's a lot of hormones going on. And there's at the cellular level, there's little receptors for the hormones. And in modern mammals, pretty much all of that stuff is so far segregated across the sexes that there's just no going in between. Mm. But if you think about it, when I, when I mentioned that at, at fertilization, the, the embryo of a human has kind of tissue that can go either way. So if you if you were to give hormone treatment to, to a girl um, she would actually develop male typical gonads right and you could do the same thing you could right. reverse the sex of a male it would take years so right yeah it would, you would have to keep it up and it would be totally unethical but you could do that now in a sponge you know that that flexibility just is there genetically mm-hmm. and and they're they are never committed to either sex so they can they can be they're,
2: both. They're just soaking it all up, huh? Yeah. So, yeah. so a, a really great movie scene is coming to mind. Sean, you might know what I'm leading at here. Um, Jurassic Park. When when they find, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, all the dinosaurs are supposed to be females. Oh, And, yeah. and yeah. Dr. Doctor Grant finds the raptor eggs. mm mm-hmm. um, Yeah. He brings up, I think he says, West African frogs or lizards or something yeah. are known to spontaneously change sex in a... Uh, that's right. Certain environments. Is that is that true? Are there examples?
1: It 100% of is. And this is actually one of the things that, that's straight out of the book. Uh, that's out of Michael Crichton. Yeah, Michael Crichton. Crichton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Michael Crichton deserves a ton of credit for that one because at the time that he wrote that book, that was one of the most obscure papers in herpetology. Wow. It has it now since been confirmed that this group of frogs, these reed frogs in Africa are the only, uh, you know, sex changing vertebrates other than fish. Hmm. But at the time of Jurassic park, it was kind of a, it wasn't very well founded and people kind of doubted it, but there was this obscure paper out there about, you know, this frog last week was barking like a male. And this week it's under a male getting fertilized. So this thing changed sex, Hmm. but, Man, yeah, Michael Crichton must have been really well read to have taken that little idea. Or really, said, really, uh-huh. really
0: high. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: doubt it. I think no. he was a pretty conservative cat.
0: Oh, okay, all right, yeah,
1: yeah. Probably drunk is... on scotch.
2: Drunk on <laughs> yeah. scotch.
0: Yeah, sure, maybe.
1: It's
2: a yeah. conservative way to go. Not the not okay. the devil weed. <laughs> oh, um. Yeah, devil lettuce. <laughs> yeah, it's it. Well, if you read that book, there's a lot of a lot of scientific basis to some of the stuff there's a lot of stuff that's total totally wacky but you you kind of have to sprinkle that in there to make it interesting yeah
1: exactly Crichton was a master of that of like taking just he would bury you with stuff that sounded plausible and then sneak in these little just preposterous things and like if you don't if you don't know exactly what's going on you can easily uh you know
0: be fooled by you can easily turn the page and read the next yeah, one. Yeah. Like every single page it. you have to read it. There's yeah. no like I, I've never not read a Michael Crichton book in one in more than one setting. It's always been one yeah. setting. I, yeah. I can't not turn to the next page. So uh that brings us
2: into turning the page to uh dinosaurs. Yeah, we don't we don't know much about that when it comes to dinosaurs you know we can it's it's tricky in a lot of cases to distinguish male from female dinosaurs we, you know all we have is their skeletal material in most cases so um looking at things like like behavior and their genetics is nearly impossible so do you believe that
0: dinosaurs can love no no no, no. <laughs> come on
2: there's no way they can
0: love no no there's, there's, I, a, there's, I watched out, there's, uh, a documentary called uh, Land Before Time. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean that's there's, there's an outside chance, outside chance. Um, if you define love as monogamy, there's an outside chance that were
2: there were monogamous dinosaurs. Yeah, but they weren't like bringing each other flowers. Well, I most mean, most of the time they were around, there were no flowers let, so.
0: like lettuce or or yeah. whatever they yeah. like yeah. pulled off a. Uh,
2: not no, big old. chunk. Will they bring? Did they do that? The big old chunk of a Hadrosaur. No, <laughs> I'm. I'm sure they did. You know, there's. When we look at at the behavior of uh, birds and crocodilians, their closest relatives, uh, we we do see that sort of behavior. So, is there a dinosaur Valentine's Day? <laughs> sure. Yeah, we have cave paintings. Uh, you know, the cavemen. <laughs> yeah, painting uh, depictions of of mommy t-rex getting chocolates from daddy t-rex it's all it's all hard science it gets really technical though so that's not really the place
0: okay well we'll get all right let's get back to our subject here uh sean
1: yeah let me talk about sex changing fish you
0: guys want to hear about that yeah yeah yeah, let me please please yeah
1: there's a, a bunch of different uh fish that can do it uh it's a small proportion of the total number of fish species but you know, uh, maybe 25, 30 different species, mostly reef fish. The most famous one is uh, the clownfish. So finding Nemo. Nemo uh, famously, I forget, do you guys remember this movie? What's the plot? Is it his mom or his dad gets snatched for the pet trade in that movie?
0: Uh, Nemo I basically mom, like right? runs from a shark and um, yeah. there's Dory, which is the clownfish. Dory is the clownfish
2: no nemo's 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 a clown nemo's a clownfish. i don't know
1: what, i don't know what dory is. what's Dory? i don't I think she's that's a. I don't know
2: Is a blue she a flounder blue molly or something
1: <laughs> Flounder. So, so i think if i recall and one of our listeners uh all four of you can call in and, and correct me i think it's mom gets snatched up or is both his oh, mom the dad. And his dad it's the dad is it the dad yeah okay. yeah well so i think in in that situation had that really happened I think if his mom had gotten snatched up, his dad would have changed sex into his mom. And then Nemo would have probably have become a dominant male and then mated with his own dad.
2: So that's, I think that's, finding, fine. that's Nemo. finding Nemo too, I think. <laughs> yeah, so that like... species, the, the clownfish does that.
1: Their, their reproductive, their kind of mating strategy is that a big dominant... Female will hang out in one of those sea anemones, and um, there'll be a, a small little kind of cadre of, of small males hanging out with her. And the most dominant of those small males will be mating with her. If she gets eaten or you know, dies, the largest of those males will turn into a female and become and fill that role as the dominant female. And the same thing can happen the other way in other species where. It's a dominant male with a bunch of small uh, individuals, and if you take that dominant male out of that uh, you know, little territory, one of the small subordinate females will start attacking all of her neighboring females uh, until she, and the hormones that kind of result from that aggressive behavior start changing her. And within a week, she becomes a dominant male, takes on the colors of the dominant male, um, and starts mating as a male with functional testes within a week.
0: Are they? Are, well, will Will she adapt a switchblade?
1: She doesn't. They, they doesn't need a switchblade, but she starts bruising the other females that are really the
0: Yeah, she But but she literally becomes a male.
1: Literally, and and before this all happened, she was fully female. Like she had ovaries. She was mating. She was laying eggs and there's no male tissue present there's there's tissue there that can become male tissue but it's not a testis and then within a week and they're little bitty yellow fish at that point when they're females within a week she becomes this big blue-headed thing that's got um functional testis and the ovarian tissue has regressed and is going away
0: what triggers this
1: in most of these fish, it's the social uh, the social environment that kicks off that chain of events.
0: So, so we really can relate cool
1: that to exactly. today, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's one of the main reasons why people study this in you know, people are like, Why why would you study such a weird, bizarre curiosity in biology? And it's like, well, Hormones and behavior happen to work in very interesting ways within a social context in another species you're familiar with, that being yours, the humans. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting to see this kind of thing where social feedback can initiate these cascades of events and really influence what's going on in these fish. And it's a really, you know, when I was a master's student, my major professor worked on sex-changing fish, so I got to learn all about it, um, <clears throat> work on the small species that he was involved with. It was really cool stuff.
2: I bet you there have been a lot of, a lot of uh, whoopsies, people buying clownfish and throwing them in an in a <laughs> aquarium thinking they're both male or something. Yeah. Come back in a week and got a dozen little clownfishes.
1: Yeah, it it would be hard, especially in that. Spe- in, the, in some of these other species, there's big time color changes that occur, so it's a lot easier to study. In the clownfish, they're you know all, the sexes are pretty similar, so you, you kind of have to go by size. And a, in a lot of these, you know, they're using destructive sampling. If you're if you're wondering how the hell they even do these kind of experiments back home, you know you have to go in there and dissect these guys in order to see the tissue has changed and and they do all kinds of really high tech kind of genetic studies on exactly how the tissue changes under hormone treatment and really cool stuff like that. It's, it's really involved, but a lot of it does involve like, you know, humane sacrifice of the animals in order to figure all this stuff out.
0: Well, I mean, that helps us figure out more about how we work. Right. Our own clockwork. Sure. Yes, it's really cool.
1: Cool. And yeah, it. it I think it gives people a, big, a, a different kind of perspective because, again, there's this tendency for some people to say, well, biology says it's just X, Y, X, X. It's not complicated. So what's all this about? Right, the
0: this? black and white approach, as many right. people and say. And it's like,
1: well, no, if you read your endocrinology textbook, <laughs> you'll find it's a, a wee bit more complicated.
0: As is a lot of things, and uh, you know what? Hey, we are going to be uh, back after the break, and we're going to wrap this whole thing up. We're going to figure it out. We're going to make it black and white.
1: Kay? We are. I think we need to ta- we need to tackle the issue of sports. Let's do it. Hey, everybody. Sean Graham here. We're at Science Nights in the Morning, and we're talking about all kinds of interesting biological sex characteristics and... Things like sex changing fish, uh, hermaphrodites that can fertilize themselves, and those that can't. Really interesting. And you know, again, where this becomes controversial is anytime, you know, we've been pretty safe on this show so far. We've been talking mostly about animal examples, and you can get away with that. You start talking about humans, and it can, it can become quickly political, and you can get yourself in trouble with both sides of the political spectrum. And that's why we're going to go just wade right into this, because we're going to talk about sports. And I'm here to tell you, I can tell you right now, one of the most unfair sports problems that we have. And it's all about, it's not what you think, it's softball,
2: people. Softball. You know what I'm talking about? Who plays softball? Uh... Women and women and your and like your your office uh, intramural team, your office pool. Yeah.
1: So I think uh, softball is the most sexist, condescending, patronizing sport of all time. And it needs to be outlawed. If if softball was outlawed and women grew up playing baseball, I have no doubt that there would be a female Major League Baseball pitcher by now. No doubt so that's that i'm getting off my soapbox now you guys can, you can talk about is it the sports. way they pitch like
0: the the yeah, way the, taught, the arm taught, moves uh,
1: everything the mechanics of it it's all because it's like supposed to be safer and it's it, they grow up playing it because it's it's for girls and and it's it, we should get rid of it if they're playing baseball because they absolutely can play baseball and they don't need to have a softball so they don't get hurt if they grew up Throwing overhand. Have you seen some of these pitchers? And they're throwing underhand. They're it's crushing. It. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. They're really For sure. good. I played little league with a couple of couple of girls. One yeah. of them. One it of them be, be beat integrated. up my coach's son in the dugout. <laughs> I got beat up <laughs> by a girl once.
0: It's awesome. I'll never I, forget. Yeah, hey, <laughs> you know,
1: they're they're way ahead of us. Yeah, we, they are. They really base. are. Yeah. So that's my. I'm. I'm not going to talk about anything else involving sports. Well, what that's, about that's bone sense. marrow?
0: Is like bone marrow thing is like, you know, uh, when. Tell. Tell me what you mean. Well, I, I'm talking about okay. If, if someone were to transition, and wanted to mm-hmm. weight lift, as an example,
1: okay. Are you talking about like bone density, testosterone, muscle testosterone, all of that? Yeah, it's all. It's all totally different. And that's why, you
0: know, that's why it's it, controversial a, right now. Yeah, you think?
1: it's getting controversial and, you know, you can be canceled for, for even talking about the science of it. But I'll say this. If you really want to encourage and 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 uh, allow everybody to play sports, one way to do it is to integrate it across the board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and nobody's talking about that.
0: Well, but do you think and there's that, a reason for that? Don't you because think it's that it's there's a physical uh, balance? What do you mean? I mean, I'm talking about like, you know, uh, how many people are six foot plus oh, right. versus yeah, yeah, yeah. five foot? Yeah, like, you know,
1: it's it's yeah, the, the the advantages that a lifetime of testosterone gives a male is obvious. And, and and if you don't buy that, if you think that you know gender is just a complete construct socially and that there's nothing to do with biology, then see what happens if you integrate all sports. And just let males and females battle it out and see who's best. It, there would be some
0: yeah, sports but best where women is would the, be able I mean, to that, that's the problem is best, like because you know I don't honestly I don't care who wins at baseball or football. Like I care about who brings about science and who better's this world as like uh, you know, and a lot of that is women, and and, and hey, a lot I, of that I'm with you on it's that. not I'm, like based yeah. on a physical difference.
1: I see what you mean. Yeah. You could easily make the argument that we shouldn't be so obsessed about this. Yeah. People, people shouldn't care what happens in sports because it's just a bunch of grown adults playing with a ball. Right. Right. Yeah. They could be, they could be working in the chemistry lab trying to, you know, cure cancer or something like that. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're the cheerleaders for that activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know <laughs> what you mean. And in a certain way, I'm like, you know, why does he, everybody's so obsessed with this. They care so much, but you know, we'll just, Let's grant them the uh, the idea that sports are cool and they're fun and that they're important to a lot of
0: people. That's true. Is it sports or is it competitiveness? Because where are in our it's biology. Both. Like, honestly, like, that's, that's, at, like at our, biolo- that's our primitive ape brain. Yeah, right. I agree. Yep. Exactly. We, we want, There's a competitive nature that we all we want, have. Right? We,
2: we want to see it happen. We want to see. You can make it. Yeah. Violence You can and, make the
1: yeah. argument that if people weren't out there beating themselves to a pulp playing football, they'd be doing it for real. It's like a ritualized warfare is mm-hmm. what it is.
0: Oh and yeah, exactly what it is.
2: Yeah. Hey, so- I've I've got a I've got a, a question here for you, Sean, that probably requires more than whatever five minutes we have left. Three minutes, even better. Um <laughs> since we've been talking about, about hormones and how they affect um sex and, and, and all of that. Do you have any take on this idea that, um, say hormones in cow's milk or, uh, the way that, um, plastics affect hormone production? Um, yeah. that cause that's, that's, thing. it seems like a, a hot topic right now
1: yeah environmental estrogens uh often people call it or endocrine disrupting compounds so, so the endocrine system is the part of your body that you know runs the hormones and there are chemicals in the environment that we're making that interfere
2: and influence those yeah, I think they're and, called you know, thalmates. it's like thalmates or something. There. Thalmates? Like, the plastic? yeah there's a
1: bunch a bunch of different kinds you know some are pl-
2: like de- derived from
1: plastic, others derived from like pesticides. DDT was a big one. And yeah, they've made they've they've tied it perfectly. Like DDT was a bad one. I, I always joke around with my students. I when they were using DDT, they they didn't stop using it until like the late 70s, around the time I was born. And i actually dug up a paper where they were talking about DDT being linked to uh, feminization of human babies in the Atlanta area in 1977. And I was like, oh, that explains why I'm such a you know a a girly boy, I always have been. <laughs> terrible at sports, terrible at all that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, it, it lowers sperm counts. Uh, there's a lot of evidence of that. I could imagine. It shrinks, you know,
2: it shrinks testicles too. Like right. The, that's the, right. Yeah, that's the kind of the big
1: feminization part would be, you know, uh, to a male embryo if that stuff gets all the way into you know the milk or the the developing mother. Um, it would happen, you know, to the fetus and potentially have long, long ranging effects. Mm -hmm. And so that, that is something people should be concerned about. And it's one of these things that it could accumulate over time before we'd ever see any real big impacts, you know, like a children of men situation Mm -hmm. where males suddenly become sterile. It's just not going to happen overnight. But, you know, if you have sterility problems, um, that kind of thing that could be what's going on or it would be really hard to know. Like you're not going to be able to go to your doctor and get some tests that says, yep, you were exposed to this kind of plastic when you were mm-hmm. an infant or a fetus. So that's why this yeah. is, it's just going to be this kind of thing that drags, but it, it's just one of those issues that, you know, we should all be concerned about the kind of chemicals that are, that we're putting out in our environment. Uh And, you know, Microchemicals
0: too, right?
1: Yeah, the appropriate regulations probably need to be put in place because I doubt that the industry is going to do this themselves. Um, so, yeah, it's it's something to be mm. concerned about. It's a good well, way to end it, I guess, this terrifying yeah.
0: process. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I will say, Sean, like when it comes to interior design, you are tier one, my friend, so. All yeah, right, there are benefits. Uh, yeah, there, there are, benefits. are a lot of benefits to it. So uh, anyway. Uh, this
2: has been the last <laughs> episode of the Science Nights in the Morning. It's been a good run. guys. We'll see you on the canceled. other side of cancellation, everybody.
0: <laughs> we'll see yeah. you on next week, Be everyone. cool to each
2: other, people. Yeah. Hey, we're all one in this world, right? No, we're, we're individuals. We're unique individuals. So we're all unique, and that's be, what makes yeah. the world
0: very unique. Right.
2: Be, cool. Be, cool. be
0: cool. Be cool. Be cool. Be cool. Be cool. Thanks for listening to this episode of Science Nights in the Morning. Be sure and follow us on Patreon for exclusive gear and uncut episodes. Check out the latest science articles on our Facebook page and subscribe to us on YouTube and your favorite podcast listening app. You can also listen every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time at BigBenRadio.com. And if you got a question, we'll join the discussion. Hit the hotline at 432-217-1983 and record your message. We couldn't do this without you, and thank you so much for listening each and every week. That's Science Nights in the morning with a K, and we'll see you next time.